Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Again, all this happening and far corners of the rink away from each other and now look at this if we can get a camera on it Ewan has gone to the Portland penalty box there you get a shot Dean Ewan is in the Portland penalty box going at Trevor Poole I, I'm afraid Dean Ewan and there's Trevor Poole hammering back at him I'm afraid Dean Ewan is going to be gone from this league for some time there's Tim Doherty down there the officials are in there trying to separate Mr. Ewan he's going to be gone for sure well, this is our fourth year bringing the games to you it's the first time we've seen that happen and I've been told it's about the second time that's happened in the history of the franchise that someone has left the penalty box Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito, and welcome to episode 125. This is going to be a mini-series, I imagine. This is the first episode of The Lost Episodes, and today I bring you part one of the Dean Ewan Epic. Well, I'll explain a little bit about the Lost Episode theme here in a moment. But first, if you're on social media, be it Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and you'd like to connect, just check the show notes of this very episode, and the links will be there. I make it very simple for everyone. I like things simple. I try to make it simple for you people as well. Another link you'll see there is a link for Isles A to Z 
Islanders A to Z. I just shortened it. Islanders A to Z, written by Joe Buono and illustrated by the great Joe Marisic. Joe Marisic is the local Long Island artist who designed the logo for this very program. And Joe Marisic is available for hire. You can get at Joe on Twitter, at GraphicsJoker, or on the internet at loudegg.com. And I think I said this last time, I think Loudegg has a, uh, a Facebook page, so you can probably get him there also. Now, as I said, I am a member of the Hockey Podcast Network, recently uh, acquired its 100th show. So it's 100 shows strong. I am proud to be one of those 100. And I have a few pals on the network too. First and foremost, the Fourth Line Voice podcast with my pal Darren up in Saskatchewan, the OG of the Enforcer podcast genre. His latest episode, you know, I love my week on the internet. One of my favorite features that Darren does because, wow, yeah, it's just, um, see, I don't frequent the Facebook groups as much as, uh, as much as Darren, and truth be told, out of the three social media platforms, uh, I am very Twitter heavy, uh, and then Instagram and then Facebook. But if I had to divide it up, it would probably be, um, 90% Twitter, 6% Instagram, 4% Facebook. So I'm not on as much, but what Darren does is he puts it in this nice little tidy segment called my week on the internet. And it really is highlights of, uh, some of the shenanigans that go on in the hockey fight groups on Facebook. And uh, it's one of my favorite features. Um, And he did do one of those. Uh, This is his, what are we? We're Thursday. So yesterday he released an episode yesterday. So that's on the Wednesday episode along with, uh, he went over George LaRock's most memorable fights. That was part of the uh, hockey news enforcer week. And it was actually very good. Uh, George uh, went into some pretty good detail about his, uh, I think it's his five most memorable fights. And Darren continues going over some of the uh, top five enforcer lists of the, uh, of the hockey news for their enforcer week. And, and who better to talk about NHL enforcers and the history of each team's enforcer uh, list, top five list, than a publication that absolutely hates fighting. I mean, that's why you would come here. So we could talk about the top five second line finish right wingers, because that's why you would come to this show. So what better place to go to for enforcer info than the hockey news? Oh yeah. Yeah. Fuck. What a world, huh? But anyway, um, that's Darren's latest episode. Does two episodes a week, Wednesdays and Sundays. So that was Wednesday's episode. Check out that episode along with his massive, massive back catalog. You didn't know what I was going to say there, did you? But yeah, back catalog. Check that out too. Five for Fighting podcast with Alec. His latest episode is Kelly Bent of the Wichita Thunder, an interview with him. And uh, I believe he is now taking lists from people, the top five ECHL enforcers. Uh, I hope he has uh, better luck with people following directions than I did for my Islanders uh, top 10. Uh, I did submit a list and I hope Alec takes it seriously. I don't know the East Coast Hockey League as well as he does. So I basically just made a list of my top five guys. So um, hopefully he takes it serious because I was serious. Those are those are my top five guys. And, um, you know, so I'm looking forward to the episode because um, 
Alec knows the ECHL enforcer scene inside and out. And every time he has one of the boys on, then uh, I learn a lot. So, um, so it's something I'm looking forward to when that episode comes out. And uh, later in the fall, and the fall is right around the corner. Got football season coming up in a couple of weeks here. And uh, five in a game with Jordan from the Maritimes. He uh, he lives in the Maritimes. He works out west in Alberta. But I believe he'll be home soon. And he'll get back on the horse there for uh, for the five in a game podcast. And also, while you are checking out those shows, please check out the corresponding YouTube channels for each one of those fine gentlemen's content. Please do that for me. Uh, also, Tales with TR, uh, the highest profile guy on the network, I think by a country mile. I don't, I don't think there's anyone that comes close to TR on the network. Um, always love listening to TR. Um, just you folks should know if you don't know Terry personally, what you hear is exactly <laughs> that's Terry. That's not a gimmick. That's not an act. That is actually Terry. If you're out to dinner with him, that's exactly how we. It, it, it's just great because. One of the good things about the internet and, and podcasts and stuff like that is that people that you know and maybe haven't seen in a while, it, it brings everyone closer. It makes the world a lot smaller. And uh, I love listening to Terry's episodes because it's almost like, you know, he's right around the corner. So uh, so I suggest you listen to that. He's put out, um, I believe, a couple of solo episodes since his interview with uh, Terrence Sandwith. But, you know, for all these boys, check out the back catalogs. They're excellent. Uh, so as you know, if you're a regular listener, I do collect game-used items from enforcers, uh, mostly focusing on the Islanders and the Quebec Nordiques, but I don't discriminate. There's probably maybe four or five guys who did the job that I'd have no interest in any of their stuff. So uh, chances are, if you have anything and you're looking to get rid of it, you're looking to sell it, uh, looking to trade, get in touch with me. Maybe we can work something out. I would appreciate it. For instance... Today, the Lost Episode, the first installment of the Lost Episodes, is with my best friend, his brother. Dean Ewan is, is like my brother. And uh, if anyone out there has any Dean Ewan items, I would definitely be interested in anything. Uh, I can't, you know, I have a good amount of stuff. He's been very generous with me over the years. But, you know, when it comes to this stuff, I'm insatiable. So if anyone has any Dean Ewan stuff out there that they're looking to part with, Definitely, definitely get in touch with me. So that brings us to the lost episodes. Now, as I said in the last episode, it was maybe six months ago where uh, my pal Yuka from Finland said, I went looking for the Dean Ewan episodes. I think it was Mick Vakoda, maybe Paul Cruz, the first few episodes, and they weren't on any of the platforms. And at that point, I maybe said, uh, that can't be right, you know, and I think I looked into it. I didn't see them either, but I'm really not that tech savvy. I figured that I'm probably missing it. So fast forward now, um, I get signed by the Hockey Podcast Network. They transfer all my interviews from Podbean, which was my original host site, over to Jesus. What is the site we use now? It's like I'm a two-year-old here. Megaphone. So they transfer all this, all my episodes from Podbean to Megaphone. And I scroll down and I see that it starts with episode nine. So that means every episode I did prior to that is not available anywhere. And so I said, oh, shit, Yuka was right. Not that I doubted him, but I don't know how to look for this shit. And I didn't know if there was a way it was there or if I had to upload it, whatever. I don't know. 
And I said, all right, well, um, I really want these interviews to be a part of the library, be a part of the network. Uh, it's history. It's sort of like my the podcast origin story, so to speak. So I figured, and, and back then I didn't do episode one, two, three, four, five. Uh, for instance, this Dean Ewan epic, it was two episodes, but it was episode one, part one, episode one, part two. Then I believe Paul Cruz was my second guest. That was one episode. Then Mick Vakoda was the third guest, and it was uh, episode three, part one, episode three, part two. So even though it, you would think it goes episodes one to eight, there's probably, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 episodes maybe that are going to be a part of this lost episodes. And then once I catch up to that, then this is done. I really... I just want this stuff to be out there so people can enjoy it. Maybe people that weren't listeners to the show way back when I first started, um, now they'll have an opportunity to hear it. Now, here's the funny thing. Um, I just went back and I I uploaded the interview and uh, to my computer and listening to it, wow. So... <laughs> So there are people out here that do podcasts that have invested thousands of dollars into their production, into their recording, into their equipment. That's not me. And I've said it before. People ask me, what do you need to start a show? And I go, honestly, a laptop. Uh, I go the little bit extra and I have a headset that I use. So, but you really just need a laptop so you can have the programs on there and record. You could spend thousands of dollars, which I don't have, and I haven't spent it. But I have a laptop here now that's probably between two or three years old, and it may as well be the most up-to-date technology out there compared to what I used when I first started. Now, what I used when I first started was a laptop that I believe I got from my mother, and I can't even tell you how old it was when I had it. And it was old when I got it. And you can tell. So when you listen to, so just so you know, comparing the audio you're listening to now to the audio you're going to hear during the interview, um, I didn't clean any of it up. And that's not because I was lazy. I don't know if you can. I'm assuming if you're tech savvy, you might be able to take audio clean it up, you know, clean it up a little bit, make it better. I don't know how to do any of that. So what you're actually going to listen to is the actual raw interview. Um, and listen, the technology, like I said, technology I had back then, not great. I think it's, uh, I think it's one or two steps below the Zapruder film in terms of uh, technology. So, the interview, I, I do hope you hang in there for it. I think the interview is great. Dean was uh, an unbelievable guest. Like I said, uh, he's basically my brother, and I've known him forever. So uh, a lot of the conversations that we discuss and a lot of the stories that we discuss in the interview, that's stuff we've discussed, you know, just the two of us, you know, when we would have visits or when he was playing and we would talk all the time. And so – the stories aren't new to me, but they're great stories. So if you can tolerate the hissing or whatever it is, however you want to describe it in the background, um, the fact that I sound like I'm 30 feet from the microphone, uh, it's actually a really good interview because of Dean, not because of me. So it's just a warning that these episodes, 
the content I think is fantastic. And again, I, I take no credit for that, but the technology is ass. So it's still listenable and I appreciate you hanging in there. But like I said, this is sort of like the origin story to Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. And, uh, and it shows. So like I said, this is, uh, I'm going to release these. These are not going to be released in lieu of an, uh, a Monday episode. So I figure for the next probably two months, I'll release two episodes a week. I'll do, uh, I'll do the usual new episode on Monday. Uh, and then I'll release these on Friday. So, um, it's two episodes a week. Don't get used to it. Cause once I catch up, it's going back to the one episode, but I just had too many good guests in the beginning of the program to not have it as part of the library. So again, I apologize. I, even, even my, uh, my, my technique, even I guess my, my comfort level that it, I can tell listening to it. I mean, it is compared to now, I think I, I'm comfortable, but I, I think I'm kind of stiff when I do the interviews um, and, uh, I'm like, oh my God, you know, but, uh, I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it, Dean and, uh, and I hope you people enjoy it. But like I said, uh, yeah, it sounds like I recorded it in, uh, right after Columbus pulled up and discovered America. That's about as technologically sound as it, uh, as it sounds that sucked, but yeah, the technology sucks. So anyway, uh, that's it for that. So going forward, you can expect a Monday episode and a Friday episode until I'm caught up until the entire library of Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box is up on megaphone up on the hockey podcast network. And, uh, and that's it. So I hope you people enjoy it. Sit back, relax. And here is the lost episode. Dean Ewan, the Dean Ewan epic part one. I hope you people enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, the very first guest on the Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box podcast, is someone who is basically a brother to me. I've known him almost 30 years. One of the smartest guys I know, one of the toughest guys I know. He's uh, played professional hockey in many different leagues, and I'd like to welcome him to a place where he has spent 2,740 minutes in penalties. Dean Ewan, welcome to the Penalty Box. How are you doing tonight? I'm all right, Joe. How are you doing? Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you very much for uh, doing this. There, When I uh, wanted to do this show, uh, there really was only one choice to have on, and uh, I know you have a, a tough schedule there, and I appreciate you making the time. And we'll see how happy you are when I get through all the questions, because I don't know how late I'm keeping you up right now, okay? Oh, anything for you, brother. Ah, all right. So, we're going to start at the beginning, and um, explain to me how the pride of St. Albert, Alberta, was actually born in Saskatoon. How old were you when you moved to St. Albert? Uh, three years old. I uh, was born in, as you said, Saskatoon. Uh so I'm not quite sure if I get classified as hometown Saskatoon or hometown St. Albert. But when I was three, my parents moved us oh. and went from there. So if I had a time machine and I could go back in time to watch a young Dean Ewan play hockey, what kind of player would I see? Uh, <laughs> an airhead. 
No, uh, that's now. But as a youngster, as a young <laughs> man, as a young Dean Ewan, as the maybe he he's been self-described as an impetuous little mutant. Uh, as a as a young as a young boy, what kind of player were you? Actually, I I enjoyed scoring quite a bit. Actually, uh, in a small town like St. Albert was, I think at the time there was right around twenty thousand people. It's a small city outside of Edmonton, but they took pride in being from St. Albert. So imagine when you were going through all your youth sports, all the stats were in the St. Albert Gazette. Everything for every league, every player they would every week they would post it. Leading scorers from every league, from your top rep teams to your bottom house league teams. So uh, I think, like anyone else, you just you started to develop a love for the game, and then you wanted to score. I tried goalie once; that did. <laughs> and, and it, it went. I just just for you know shits and giggles. I tried it, and the other team in one period had 12 shots, and they scored 12 times. So I figured, yeah, this isn't good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you made the right choice playing out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was only minus 11. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the first, the first um, team that there's a record of, of you playing is the uh, the St. Albert Saints. So is that uh, something where you're from the region, so you're designated to that team, or how does that work? Is there a draft? Uh, back then they had protected lists. And uh, before I went to the Western Hockey League, that's in the, uh, the Saints were in the AJHL, which is uh, Junior A Tier 2. So it would be equivalent to the USHL here. Uh, my rights had been traded like three or four times before that. So uh, most guys, when they want to go, you see it all the time now, if they want to go to play for a U.S. college, instead of going to the Western Hockey League, they'll go play in the uh, the AJHL, the BCJHL, the OJHL. Um, it's just one league lower, and you don't lose your NCAA uh, eligibility. But me, I pretty much knew that I was going to go the Western Hockey League route. I was going to follow Todd. Um, so as a 14-year-old, I started playing against 20-year-olds. Now, this is one level lower than the Western League. That's what you said, correct? Yes. And we know back then, which we'll get into momentarily, how the Western League was literally the Wild West. So I imagine that uh, these Tier 2 leagues also were probably pretty violent and there's not much footage available and not really uh, a ton of uh, articles or anything like that that I could scrape up about your time in St. Albert. So do you have any memorable stories from that time? Well, I remember there was this guy who came up from California to play for him. Uh, and it was in... And he came back and was playing a couple games because I don't know where he went after that. Um, but he was really good friends with my sister because they went to school at Paul Kane High School together. His name was Craig Cox. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I remember uh, I'd never been in a fight on the ice before. And so I stepped into this gong show and I ended up in some kind of wrestling match, ended up on the ground. I don't know what happened. And I just remember Coxie coming over and said, hey, good job, kid. Just skate right to the box. 
And I all I knew was that he knew my sister. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, they went to school together. Uh, but it was, it, I mean, I think the, the Pool Brothers, they were playing for, there was a bunch of guys who played in that league. Uh, I played half the season and then went back down and played the remainder of the half with the midget team. Okay. But we had guys like uh, the Pillipow Brothers, uh, Sonny Sodkey. I remember that guy. He used to skate around the ice and and he'd whack and chop guys. And you'd hear the other team screaming, Sonny, come on, just play, man. Leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you compare to this guy? But it was, uh, no, it was memorable. It was memorable. It was weird. That was the first time you really went uh, played in front of more people than your family. That would be uh, fun. Yeah. I mean, my hometown, I played for 40-some games and and then 20 games on Midget, and then the next year went to the Lincoln. Yeah, so I, uh, I think you referred to um, the AJHL St. Albert as a gong show, which is the perfect segue into uh, your first team in New Westminster. So was it... Um, how how did that work out that you ended up in New West? Was was again was it a territorial thing? Uh, were you drafted to them? How did that work? Like I said, back then they didn't have a draft. You had and I'm gonna be spitballing here, let's just say a fifty man protected list. And each player on your existing team would be worth one spot. And the younger the players got, so if you weren't if you were 16 years old, but you were a lot, you were old enough to play in the league, you were one spot. Any lower than that, you would take two spots, three spots, four spots, stuff like that. Well, I was originally I was originally listed uh, on Saskatoon, the Blades. Mm -hmm. And then they traded my rights to the Kamloops Blazers, Kamloops Junior Oilers, sorry, not yet. And then the Kamloops Junior Oilers traded my rights to New Westminster. So I just kept getting all these letters that I'd been traded to some other team that I never knew about. Now, do you think New West uh, tried to get you because that's where Todd was? I would, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think since I was listed by another team so early, I'd like to think that I was somewhat all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, if you, if you couldn't play... And they wanted to get you. Even Todd would have said, "Look, he's a knucklehead. We don't need him here." But I figured, you know, we always discussed how any team would have been it would have been smart for any team to have you guys, the marketing and things like that. So I figured maybe uh, in junior hockey, if uh, they figured, "Look, we have uh, Todd Ewan, and there's his kid brother. Why don't we try to get him?" I didn't know if you knew for sure if that had anything to do with it. I have no idea. Uh, I mean, if you look over that roster, that first team, who am I? Yeah, we're going to get into that right now. <laughs> we're going to get into that. So, you're uh, 1985-86, New Westminster. These are some of the guys you played with. Um, I mean, this is a rogues gallery if there ever was one. You got your brother Todd, uh, Jerry Johansson, Brent Hughes, Darwin McPherson, Mike McWilliam, Alan May, Darren Kimball, Mike Paulinchuk, Derek Laxdahl, just to name some guys. And I imagine at that point, Laxdahl probably never had to fight. He was probably more of a player with the... I mean, he looks like he may be the 10th guy on the list. So, um... How, what's that? Timmy Brantner was a, was a junior heavyweight. 
Like, he was a heavy, one of those guys that's just an absolute killer in junior. Yeah. That was Timmy Brown. Okay. Well, as a kid now, you're, I think you were younger than all those guys, even if it's a year or so. So how do you, how does a guy like you, a kid coming in his first year, because some of those guys were already established, so how do you find your way on a team like that? What role did you have, uh, you know, honestly, because you have some pretty established guys on that team, and here you are trying to make a name for yourself but not step on any toes? Yeah, I didn't do a good job of that. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> This this was like a uh, how do I put this nicely? This was like a drinking team with a hockey problem <laughs> when I came in. Uh, but we had an owner who was in legal trouble, and I was a snot-nosed little rookie. So I remember we're having a big meeting because we literally went on strike because we weren't getting paid, and I don't know anything, and. Uh, so I chimed up in the meeting where the owner came, uh, just stating that, I, you know, I think we should get paid. Well, the meeting ends, we get on the bus, well, everyone else gets on the bus, and Todd and a couple other older guys grab me and say they want to talk, and they beat the ever-living piss out of me and said, Lucas never speak. <laughs> and, oh. uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a learning experience. I mean, there was a great group of guys, but they taught you, you knew your role, you knew where you were supposed to be, and I was just a 16-year-old, well, 15-year-old turning 16, and there was actually two of us. There was uh, Jamie Leach and I played on, we were the two youngest guys in the team, we were basically the third line, seventh forward, fourth line guys, so we didn't see a lot of ice time. So that was, uh, you just kind of tried to feel your way out. Um, when you knew you had to fight, this was one of the things that came up. I remember we were playing in Brandon. And uh, for the life of me, the tough guy's name escapes me. A Bob Heaney. And Bob Heaney was this, he was one of the top five heavyweights in the Western Hockey League. And I'm some snot-nosed little kid. I remember Ernie Punch McLean, our coach, looks down the bench. And like you said, we've got a rogues gallery of tough guys. Um, and these, and he looks down and he goes, hey, Dean, go fight Heaney. Mike McWilliam jumps up and says, hey, coach, that's a little too much for him. I'll take it. He goes, no, Dean, go fight him. <laughs> like, okay. yeah. And what do you say to that? You jump out. And I remember I just kind of bumped him. And again, I had never really been in a fight yet. And so uh, we bump each other. And he looks at me and he's kind of laughing. And I just dropped my gloves and suckered him. <laughs> and uh, not proud of that. Yeah. But he threw me around pretty good. And then we ended up on the ground. And that was it. That was, I was like, there was my first fight. Wow. So you mentioned one of your coaches. That, yeah. Two head coaches? Was that uh, Patty Janelle and Punch McLean? Were they co-head coaches, or how was that dynamic there? No, first we had uh, Patty Janelle, who was the second all-time goon hockey coach in the Western Hockey League. Okay. Um, uh, we would we were playing an exhibition game against Seattle in Chilliwack, British Columbia, and so we had a guy named well. R.J. Dundas was on our team. 
and he tells RJ after we score a goal in the first period to run the goalie and start a brawl. <laughs> so RJ runs the goal. A brawl starts. Their guys, one or two of their guys jump off the bench. So our whole bench clears except for Patty tags six guys and says, you stay on the bench. So he's got a lineup. Well, our whole bench clears. They've got maybe two guys who jumped off. The rest stayed on the bench. So we've got four guys to everybody on the ice. Oh, boy. And what his plan was that we would score one goal, have a bench clear, and then, then they'd call the game and we'd win one nothing. That was, <laughs> was the, the strategy behind it. Yeah. But I remember um, we had Mike Polinchuk, 6'6", 265, this this big goofy guy, and but he had a full beard. He looked like Duck Dynasty back then. So I mean, when everyone else, the oldest guy's twenty, and this guy's got a full beard like that. Well, he chased the entire Seattle team down into their locker room. They locked themselves in their locker room while he was trying to break down the door and left all their guys on the ice with us. I mean, we felt bad for him. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> So, so that was that was uh, Patty Janelle, or was that Punch? That was Patty. Okay. And then uh, Patty got fired, and they brought in Ernie Punch McLean, who is the all-time goon hockey coach of the Western Hockey League. Um, and he uh, he was fun. We we had a drill that he called the Voodoo. Uh, you couldn't get away with doing this nowadays. There's no way. He would take one puck and he'd put it on the ice. And one player would have to protect the puck behind the goal. He wasn't trying to score. He wasn't trying to pass it. He wasn't trying to make any kind of hockey. He just had to protect and hold on to the puck. Well, the entire team would take runs at him. <laughs> yeah, that, that wouldn't go over well nowadays. Well, you weren't, like, if you had the puck, you had to stay behind the goal. But if I didn't have the puck, I could take a full lap around the ice to gain speed to run at you. Oh, my God. And you have 20-some guys running at you at the same time, and you're expected the whole, that was stuff. He just, uh, we loved it. He'd throw the puck out and say, voodoo, and we'd do it for a half hour. How did the guy like it who was behind the net? We were kind of sick. You wanted to be the guy with the puck. <laughs> <laughs> That's tremendous. Because the one thing that people forget is there's no linesmen or referees in a practice. Right. There's high sticking majors. There's no you can't hide. So when some guy comes, you can clothesline a guy coming in if you want, as long as you maintain control of the puck. Oh man, yeah. This definitely, especially nowadays with what's going on, this definitely would not play well uh, in. Uh, 2019, but I guess back in the, the mid-80s, it was all fun and games. So, so that season, uh, we'll talk about a few of the guys that you fought, and then I have a, uh, another question about the team itself. So, um, you fought Rod Dahlman, who was uh, one of the tough guys on Prince Albert, who later became your teammate. And uh, mm -hmm. Do you remember that fight? I just remember there was a scrum... Uh, I knew he was a tough guy. Uh, uh, scrum, we kind of peeled away from the front of the net. And uh, 
I got some shots in, he got some shots in, and then I remember that uh, when the linesmen were breaking us up, he punched me in the head a couple times, and I was trying to show him that it didn't hurt. So I kind of rubbed my head a little bit, and then with no helmet on, headbutted about four guys on my team. Yes, and, and for people listening, there is video of this, so uh, if you go on YouTube and you put in Dean's name, uh, or Rod Dahlman, there is video of this, so he is not lying. So uh, that is there. Um, just look stupid on skates, and it'll show up. Well, I mean, listen, you're just uh, you know, a young man, and you're trying to find your way, and, and uh, stuff like that happens, I guess. But also, uh, a guy who I think was a, a year or two older than you played for Seattle, he was a, a future Islander, Brent Severin. Uh, you fought him twice, I think, a couple of nights later after fighting Dahlman. Do you remember those fights? I remember getting the snot beat out of me. Yeah. <laughs> we were playing in Seattle, and uh, I don't remember how the fight started. Uh, I just remember him asking us, asking me to go. So I said, sure. And again, I'm still learning how to fight on the ice. Uh, so I remember my head, it, I get hit. And uh, my head's going about four different ways. Like, he's hitting me with everything that he's throwing. And I'm thinking I'm knocked out because everything's black. And so, but I can still feel the punches. So, in my head, when you're in a fight like that, sometimes time slows down. And it's, well, if I can still feel these, then I'm probably not knocked out. Well, what happened was I had my eyes closed. <laughs> I forced myself to open my eyes so now I could see the punches coming and which was a good call yeah. but I never I never went down and uh, so we fought he won easily and uh, then they took us to the the penalty box well in, in Seattle in that ring in the old arena there was no plexiglass or anything between the penalty boxes and uh, both penalty boxes were on the side of the visiting team. So I'm sitting there, and he asked me if we want to go again. And all we got the rogues gallery here sitting, listening to all this. And they're chirping him already because he's a 20-year-old who fought a 16-year-old. So I said, sure. So we stepped out of the box, and I, we just dropped our gloves, and he beat me up again. <laughs> Again, I never went down. He never put me down, but he did hit me with everything in the kitchen sink. Uh, so then we go into the box. We go into the dressing room between periods, and Ernie comes in and says, no one else is allowed to fight Brett Severn but me because they want to you know, get him tossed out of the game if he fights a third time because, you know, it's just me. Yeah, you're expendable. Yeah, I'm just some guy. So... We go back the next period, and we're sitting in the penalty box, and he's chirping me again. You want it again? You want it again? And I go, sure. The next thing I know, I've got Mac, Todd, uh, Kimball, you name it. Them and their dogs are in the penalty box with me, screaming at him that he's a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. They're just losing their minds. You fought him twice. We're going after you now. And Ernie can't control him at all. It was just, and he's like, okay, well, let's do it then. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that, right? Oh, man. He broke his hand on my head. <laughs> so I think this was also the season. 
uh, and I won't give away the, the player because you'll do that. Was this the season that uh, you uh, another game against Prince Albert, Todd suggested that maybe you go out and fight someone? I think he was wearing number four. I think he was wearing number three. Number th- Okay, three. Yeah. Uh, I remember I was sitting on the bench, again, young guy not playing a lot, Todd was, and uh, we were having fun abusing the fans. And Todd looks out and says, hey, Dean, you know, there's a guy out there who's talking all kinds of stuff about you. You better go fight him or you're, you know, it's just going to be miserable for you the rest of your career. I'm like, well, who? He goes, that number three over there. I go, well, what's his name? Dave Manson. <laughs> <laughs> which did, which did that register with you at all? Or he was just another guy? He was just a guy that Todd was telling me I had to go fight. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, I knew because there's him, Dahlman, uh, Gertz, Kenny Baumgartner, you know, yeah. again, it's, every team is a rogues gallery of fighters back then. And so I skate out, and again, uh, we start cross-checking, and I just drop my gloves real quick, and I feel a punch. And I don't know what happened. I probably ended up on the ground. But all I can hear is him looking and going, why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> Well, then I come back, and, and all the guys on the bench are freaking out. They thought it was great. I'm like, what's the... They're like, he's one of the cha- heavyweight champions of this league. Mm-hmm. I'm like... Hey. And I'm looking at Todd, and he's just laughing. <laughs> like, hey, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is this was your first experience with, you know, big-time Western Hockey League stuff. And um, Todd, Todd will be brought up in this interview a few different times, but... What did it mean to you to start your career playing with your older brother who had some experience and, and did the same job as you? I think it helped a lot. Um, I mean, especially when you're that young and you move away from home. There was no guidance. Um, at that level, they're looking to win. And you're kind of expendable. And so it helped having a guy that was would introduce me to the guys from the other teams because he had respect. Uh, I think, you know, guys treated you a little nicer. You know? Mm-hmm. And someone walk you through it and, and try and help you from the pitfalls. And also get you in trouble because he didn't want to. Yeah, and, and he'll get you in trouble, but he'll still have your back. So it's kind of like he'll get you in trouble, but only uh, up to a certain point, and then he'll help you out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like, uh, you know, it, he knew that that my coaches wanted me to, to play physical and to fight if called for. Um, and he knew I was going to have to take my lumps. Uh, I think one of the things they said when Severin was really beating the crap out of me, they were having a hard time con- keeping Todd on the bench. Yeah. He was losing his mind. That's one of those things, the older brother can beat the crap out of you all he wants, but no one else is. Yeah. And if it was, like, he didn't do that when it was Dolman or anything like that, but when he saw a 20-year-old come after me, he thought that was a little much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and since we we uh, brought him up, and I don't think he'll ever uh, he'll ever come on the show, I, I think uh, the few times I've reached out to him for different things, he just doesn't really have any interest in talking about hockey, but since it is an Islanders-related podcast, uh, it's 
kind of well known that back in the Western League, uh, Baumgartner terrorized that league and he terrorized the American League after that. As someone who played against him, can you speak firsthand to just how, I mean, how scary that guy was in the Western League? Well, I know for, uh, because I was so much younger, you knew who Kenny Baumgartner was. Uh, the first time I lined up against him was surprisingly that same game where I ended up fighting Dolman. Um, he lined up and I don't know if he has a twitch or was just making like he had a nervous tick but he started talking to himself like spear the rookie, spear the rookie in the face spear, spear, spear the rookie in the face and I'm looking at him going well the rookie says don't spear him in the face <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean he used to come into piles when, when the goaltender would make a save and how guys mill around he used to skate in and say you know, daddy's home, who's been bad? <laughs> and uh, I think the most famous story of his was they were playing against Moose Jaw. Prince Albert was. And they uh, they had, their best player was also their toughest guy, and that was Mike Keane. Uh, so, Kenny Baumgartner, they go out and they start doing warm-ups, and he takes Moose Jaw's net, and pulls it down into Prince Albert's zone so they can have both their goalies get shots on net. Uh, then while Moose Jaw is skating around not doing anything, they're warming up without a net, he goes on their bench and sits down and starts drinking their water. <laughs> and then no one did anything then, so he decided, well, he was going to go over and test some sticks and see if he liked any of them. And he did, so apparently he took them. And still no <laughs> Jesus, I know. Uh, years later, I know he um, in an exhibition game against the Rangers at the Coliseum, uh, he went and took a drink out of the Rangers water bottle. And uh, this is the kind of thing I, I think that uh, gets lost on a lot of people today. And it's one of the things that I said about mostly guys I played in the Western League, and I've said it about you know Mick Vakoda and Bomber and. No matter what level you get to, you can't take the Western League out of the boy because you just, these are characters and you just, you play that certain way. And I mean, that night that Bomber's doing all this stuff in, in Moose Jaw, no one's doing anything. He's got to feel like King Kong. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was one of the cardinal rules that you didn't let anyone, I mean, we ended up, uh, I guess our claim to fame was that we made it when you had to take teams had to have separate warm-ups. You would watch a guy, and if you watch slap shot and stuff like that, and you see how guys skate around the red line, if someone came on your side of the ice, that was a fight. Yeah. It, like the old saying was, "Ride the red line like it's a Harley." That little part of the mental game yeah. that I'm going to take part of your ice, and there's nothing you can do about. It. And guys pushed it that hard where it was, it was literally, I'm going to intimidate you so you'll know that even if you're not scared of the fight, mentally you're giving up that step. You know, I'm going to let you do that. Well, if you're going to let me do that, then you're going to let me do whatever I want. I'm going to keep pushing the ember. Yeah, I bet. So uh, There was a lot of really, really talented guys who came through the league but it was that mental toughness that they couldn't... I mean, guys way more talented than I could ever dream of being. Uh, world-class players. and But they just... 
the mental strain of every day knowing you were going to get challenged uh, was too much for me. Yeah, and that's not that's not even a weakness on their part. I mean, this sounds this is literally like I tell anyone who listen, this is literally the Wild West. I mean, that's exactly what it was. You guys were all outlaws and you know, it was uh it was a tough league to play in. I mean, and like you say your team had all these guys. All right, we rattled off a list of them. I even forgot to put Tim Brantner in there. And one of the things about that team, like uh, you're saying how uh you guys were part of the reason or the reason why you had separate warm-ups. People may not know this, but you guys were supposed to host the Memorial Cup that year, but it was taken away, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it was. And why was that? Why was that exactly? Uh, well, one, I, I don't think we were making the playoffs. And, and two, you didn't want us to be the showcase of the Western Hockey League. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially, I mean, and listen, every, all the junior leagues back then were tough. I mean, I'm not, I'm not disparaging it. Back then it was widely, it may still be now, it was widely regarded that the Western League was the toughest league. And the Quebec League had the fancier players. I can't imagine what the, whoever represented the Quebec League in that Memorial Cup would be thinking uh, having to come into New West and skate against you guys. Yeah, and we had good players. I mean, we had Billy Ramford in net. We had uh, Perry Fafard. We had Glenn Mulvena, Mark Recchi, Brent Hughes. I mean, we had some guys who could play. Um, so, I, you know, I, I guess I forgot that we had Reed Simpson for a while, too. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, he's so. I mean, he was just a baby. I think back then he didn't play a ton of games, so it's easy to forget about him. I mean, you have. I mean, if you look at the list of guys you had, you have you have two guys who went on to really make a name for themselves as far as being heavyweights in the league, and Todd and Darren Kimball. Um, you have Brent Hughes, who, who played a, a bunch of games at the NHL level, not a heavyweight, but he fought. You got Mac, who played some games with the Islanders. You got Alan May, who was a regular with Washington for a while. So you know, Reed Simpson. At that point, he was very much low on the pecking order. And then a guy like him, you know, he ends up getting his break with the Devils, and then he plays for a bunch of teams going on in the NHL. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be a team coming into to New West. That was a Queens Park Arena, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, and it was a little tiny dark rink. I think uh, <laughs> my most vivid memory is we were playing the Camels Blazers, and Ken Hitchcock was their coach. And this is when Hitch was really, really big. Yeah. And so we have Ernie Punch McLean as our coach at this time. And around you, literally, there's nothing separating you from the fans. Uh, the only thing that has plexiglass on it is the actual ring. So it's wide open. Um, so people are heckling Hitch about his weight. And uh, Ernie orders a bunch of pizzas and has them sent over to their bench. <laughs> during the game, this Domino's guy or whatever walks over with about 20 pizzas that Ernie paid, and Ernie grabs a sign from the stands that says, Have another hot dog hitch. Oh. And holds it up. And so then, er you know, Hitch looks over. Now, you got to remember, Ernie Punch McLean was a minor. 
and I don't mean young. I yeah. mean a minor with digging in the ground. Yeah. Now, Ernie had one eye, and his whole face had been crushed. Well, this is a, one of the toughest men you'll ever meet. Out in his mine in northern B.C., he was out there by himself in a piece of heavy machinery. Well, something happened, and the heavy piece of machinery fell on him, and he got crushed by it. So he crawled 20-some miles, holding his one eye. His arms were broken, his legs were broken, and he used one hand to hold the eye that was dangling out of his head. And he crawled 20-some miles for help. Oh, shit. <laughs> I never, you, we never, you never told me that before. Jesus, that's a crazy story. Yeah, he's legendary in West. I mean, how do you look at this guy and tell him something's hard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. <clears throat> yeah, so he ended up losing his eye and having reconstructive surgery everywhere, and he wasn't going to take a backseat to anybody. So when, so Hitch looks over after he gets all that and reads the sign and covers one of his eyes. Oh, boy. Well, that just set the whole team up. I mean, I think it took three hours for the first period. Oh. <clears throat> I would was imagine. A, yeah, it was. And and back then, Camelot was really good. I mean, they had, well, they had Rudy Postcheck, uh, what the heck was it, Kachowski, guys like that, Robin Bauer, um, Donnie Schmidt. Uh, there was, they, but they had some great players. Like, they had Rob Brown and Greg Hoggood and all that. So, they what could have been a good hockey game did not turn out to be a good hockey game. No, I bet it was probably fun to watch, though, from the stands. Well, and they had just traded, because uh, at the beginning of the season, we also had Craig Berube, and they had just traded him to Panthers. Okay. Yeah, so he was on there, too. <laughs> so he's on the other side looking at your bench going, I used to be a part of that, and now I'm on this side. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, so just the next... <laughs> what's that? Say again? Just add the players who were on there. Oh, yeah. Jesus. So, the next season comes around. You're back with New West. Uh, you played nine games, though, and then you were traded to Spokane. What? Uh, and, by the way, you still managed to get five points in those nine games, 28 penalty minutes. Uh, what happened? Why were you traded to Spokane? I was traded to Spokane because, uh, straight up for Sean LeBron, because I was... They, they told me I was rated to get drafted. This was the first year you could only draft in the first three rounds. Uh, at your typical draft age, they were bumping it from the fourth round up had to be older players. Okay. And uh, so, so they traded me for Sean LeBron, who was uh, rated to go in the third round and get drafted. Who you ended up being a teammate with with the uh, Capital District, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yep. he got dropped by the Islanders too. Okay, so now you're with Spokane, uh, who has is a very tough team in their own right. Um, <laughs> not, maybe maybe not the numbers that New West has, but you have one of the toughest guys in the league, uh, Mick Vakoda, on that team. Uh, another another heavyweight, Tony Horacek, and you know there's a guy that you played with that I've always been a huge fan of. He's a smaller guy, but I think he's tough as nails. Darcy Lowen was on that team, too. So um, so fun. another fun team that you played on that you were a part of. 
And uh, you jumped right in. You finished second on the team at penalty minutes that year. Distant second. Uh, you played four less games than Mick did, but he uh, he had 129 more penalty minutes than you. So uh, so you weren't going to catch him on there, catch him in the penalty minutes. But uh, so you jumped to that team. You uh, you had a few fights that year with some some names that people might know. Um, Scott Daniels with Cam Loops. And uh, maybe did this guy replace you in New Westminster, a guy named Link Gates? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we played together for five games. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he never let me forget about that one. Is that right? <laughs> How'd that fight go? I think it was pretty even. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were both young and raw. Uh, I know you're probably going to talk about it, but he ended up at one point getting traded to... We started playing again. Yeah. Spokane. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was pretty even, I guess. Yeah. Uh, every time that we started, when we, he ended up coming to Spokane, he was uh, billeted with a guy, his roommate was uh, Scott Humanuck. Okay, I know the name. Yeah, and uh, Hummer ended up, we'd go over and, and we'd hang out a lot. And every time I'd go in there, Link would pull me to the living room, and he had the old VHS recorder, and he'd plug in that fight. And he'd say, look, I hit you there. And I'm going, yeah, you did. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? <laughs> That's it. I won that fight. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> you won it. Yeah. Surprising. I got along fine with Link. Yeah. Like, well, maybe, uh, he res- maybe he respected you. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I <laughs> I'm not going to climb inside his head. No, probably uh, not. A, probably not a good idea. I would stay clear of that head. Yeah, yeah, no, but uh, yeah. So we went. It was, I, I, you know, nothing that you could write home about. Yeah. But then you had Darcy, like you talked about Darcy Lowen. Yeah. The chain. Um. Most people don't know this, but his scoliosis was horrendous. I didn't even his, know he had it. I didn't know he had... I, I love the guy. I never knew he had scoliosis. Yeah, his spine is twisted like you've never seen before. And that, and he played unbelievably hard every single night. Every shift, never took anything off, and he was in pain every step of the way. He, um... So I had seen some of his fights, you know, back then you trade fight tapes and everything like that. I'd seen some of his fights, but I never saw him consistently till he played in Ottawa and they were a terrible team back then but similar to when um, Jeff Audgers was with Boston and they were terrible and you just watch Audgers play every night and he give 100% on every shift that's the one thing I noticed about Darcy uh, playing with Ottawa they were a terrible team but man he he was uh, always always 100% on the ice he fought anybody I remember he fought Mick here on the island uh, didn't take a, a backward step to anybody, and he wasn't a bad player either, even at this level in the NHL. No, he was he was good. Um, he was one of those young kids who came through that meat grinder that it was still relatively the old Wild West. Uh, you know, guys would try and pass that on to the next generation. Um, now, the one thing that he had was that he was in phenomenal condition. He was literally muscle saran wrapped with skin. Yeah. Um, but he came through. Well, mentally, you weren't going to break him. That's the way he would look at. It. He was going to keep coming forward, and you were going to have to be mentally stronger than him to beat him. 
one of those guys that if you put the puck in the corner, uh, I guarantee he comes out with nine of them because after you get the first one, he's going to break your legs and come out with the other nine. <laughs> and, it's, it's, uh, and, and a really quiet guy, yeah. super nice, and uh, yeah, out of all the respect for him in the world. So, in one of your first games back in New Westminster, you were a scratch. I don't know if you were hurt or if you're a healthy scratch. Uh, you still managed to get into a fight during uh, an incident, and you scored a KO. Um, do you remember the incident I'm referring to? Are you talking about the linesman? Uh, yes, I am talking about the linesman. Do you care to uh, elaborate on this incident? I played in that game. I played. I got kicked out in the first period for a fight. Okay, so you played, and then you showered, and you're in regular street clothes then, right? I'm, I'm in regular street clothes. Okay. And there had been a bunch of fights. I think Mick had fought Link twice that game. Um, everyone had had fights. So most of our fighters are out of the game. And I remember because Brent Gilchrist was our best player. Uh, played for Montreal for a number of years, then went to Dallas. Yeah. Unbelievable guy. Great hockey player. Now, here's, here's the best hockey player on your team who had knee surgery, and he still had stitches in his leg. And he's playing for his NHL contract, so he's playing on one leg. He still has stitches in his leg, and he's playing in the game. And leading our team in scoring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, the only guy we had left was Tony Fortune. And we're all in the stands, and a big scrum starts, and a bunch of their fighters start going after Gilly. And Horacek goes in, and he gets taken down. Right uh, so we come down from the stands, and we had red helmets on the road, I believe, and New West had black helmets. Yeah. So I jump up on the plexiglass, and I look for a black helmet, and I'm in dress clothes. And I see one, and I just, as hard as I can, I crank that. And all I see is the helmet. And then it's like ABC super slow-mo. I just see the guy fooled backwards, and it's the linesman. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, crap. Well, you got to remember, in New Westminster, there's no separation from the plexiglass and the fans. So even though I'm there, there's no protection. All I remember is this massive guy comes flying out, just this spectator, and he's coming to get me, and I don't see him coming. Tony Horacek had stood back up, and he comes flying over the plexiglass and two hands the guy in the head before he gets to me. Oh, <laughs> so it's WWF free for all going right now. That is. Uh, so that's just another day in the Western League. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's the, that. You got to remember back then. That's when. Uh, what was his name? Mark Tenorti, and I think the guy's name was Bell for Regina. They stood at center ice and two-handed each other over the head with their hockey sticks and had a stick fight. I'm guessing Tenorti won since Tenorti made the NHL and I've never heard of this Bell. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. He was he was a little tiny guy. Yeah. He was on China, I remember that. But I remember it was... It spread through the league like wildfire. They both got suspended because even as their sticks broke, they because back then you didn't have aluminum sticks or yeah. you had big pieces of two by four. Yeah, they yeah, were the, salt as the, the wood. The old cohos and the old titans. 
Yeah, where they dipped them in lacquer and yeah. all that kind of stuff. You know, they got fiberglass on the outside to coat them to make them so you could build a house out of it. <laughs> these two guys stood at center ice, and as their sticks broke, they just kept hitting each other in the face with these sticks. They went nuts. That was the kind of legal. Oh, boy, oh, boy. The good times, good times. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now... I, I remember you told me, and there's there's video of this too. Um, if we forward to the playoffs, you played Portland, and there was a certain guy on a, on Portland that you managed to fight a few times, and um, I think he was uh, one of two or three brothers. So, what could you tell us about your little series with uh, Trevor Poole? And uh, was it did he have two brothers or just one? I think he had two, but only one that played on the same team as him. Okay. I think. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, well, apparently, I didn't know this, but when I was 14 playing in the AJHL, he uh, he was playing for Calgary, and I guess I fought him then, too. Okay. Uh, but I had, I don't know. Um, well, so we had had a number of fights, and he liked to showboat a little bit, and I had was starting to get the hang of how you're supposed to fight on the ice. One of the good things about the teams that I was on was I had a lot of guys who could show me the tricks. Um, and it's, there's really a lot more of a science to it if you're not so much bigger than anyone else you're fighting. So we had had a couple fights, and I was starting to have my way with them, but I just I didn't like them. Uh, so he called me out. I dropped my gloves. Uh, he didn't drop his. We both ended up getting penalties. And then I remember he was saying some uh, disparaging remarks about my brother. So next thing I know, I'm in. I had to jump up in the stands and then go down into their penalty box. And I didn't know this, but all the people in the penalty box in Portland are police officers. <laughs> And, and by the way, everybody, this is also on video, also on YouTube, so look this one up also. I, I, I didn't know that, so I apologize to them. Um, and then, so I go in and I, we're fighting in their penalty box. Well, all of the guys in the box grab me, so I can't do anything. And he's just teeing off on my head, so you can't see it, but I'm actually kicking with my skates. So... <laughs> Yeah, you can't see that. No, that was that was bad. That was very bad. Well, he deserved it, though. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say I was the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> you got smarter as the years went on, but <laughs> so so just as um, when you're in New West and you had the older guys, and especially Todd was there, uh, when you went to Spokane, you played with a guy that Islander fans are very familiar with. Uh, Mick Vakota, I think he's the uh, probably a couple years older than you. Uh, he was an established heavyweight in the league. Um, what was it like playing with Mick in Spokane? Mick was great. Um, he, as you know, he's a character. Yes, he's a lot of fun. Uh, he's great in the locker room, and he's one of the things that he did was he held guys accountable. Uh, and uh, as a new young guy coming in, I knew nobody on this team. I went from a team where I had a brother who kind of walked me through and I was getting comfortable to not only did I go into a different team, I went to a different country. 
Yeah, yeah. And so I'm. He was very welcoming, um, but you also had to pass his test. Him and I have talked about this a number of times, where he heard I was supposed to be some kind of scrapper, uh, but he until I think it was until I fought Darwin McPherson on our first game against uh, New Westminster. And we stood there and went toe to toe. He goes, "That's the first time he went. Okay, he's will." Yeah. And I guess I that was the point when he said he he acknowledged me at that point because I went against an ex teammate who he he had respect for. Yeah. And, and fought him. Good to hear. He's and, great. Yeah. No, he's a great guy, and, and I think the one thing that people have to understand is, especially at this at this level you're all you're all young some of the guys have been drafted some of the guys haven't been drafted some of the guys are going to be drafted but i think one thing that i really appreciate as a fan and as a friend with a lot of you guys is how it was you know mick obviously was the established guy in spokane where todd and darren kimball craig Berube were established guys in new west and they weren't afraid to take the young guys under their wing it, you weren't looked at as a threat um, and I think as long as you, as long as you were a good guy about it, like I'm sure if a if a guy came in, like there was no way anyone was going to walk into that new West locker room, talking shit like they're the the new big gun on the block. I don't think they would have lasted a day. But I think if you're humble about it and you understand where you fit in on the team, it's one of the dynamics that I like. That guys weren't afraid to take a younger guy under their wing and kind of show you the ropes. And I really respect that. Yeah. Well, that's what guys like Mick and, and Tony Horacek and Grant Delcourt and all those older guys, uh, you'd step in and, and when you go back to my first year with all those guys I played with, it was, even though we, we make light of it and talk about the, the wild, wild west, there was a code that went to it. It was all about honor. It was all about the right way to play. That you had to show up every shift, every day. And the older guys would want to pass that along to you, and they would they would put their arm around you and talk to you about it, or they'd grab you by the hair and beat your head into something until you understood what they were talking about. But it was a way to pass along the way that the Western Hockey League played, the mentality that even the goal scorers came up that you weren't going to take a backward step, and they wanted to pass that along, and they weren't threatened by it. Uh, the fighting techniques, some of the stuff that I learned from... The, my first year, uh, then you learn different things because Mick Makota wouldn't be shy if he'd pull you over at the end of practice. Say, "Look, you're going to get smoked unless you do this, this, and this," and he'd give you some tips, um, and that helped a lot. Uh, it helped shape you. Not you start to see what what mentoring is really about, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to teach you that it's not just your job to play. We're known as a certain type of player, and we're going to pass that on to the next generation. Well, that's great to hear. And um, so now the season ends, and uh, part of the reason, well, I guess the main reason why, A, you are on this show and how we became friends is uh, the season's over, and uh, draft comes along, and you were taken in the third round, 55th overall by the Islanders. Now, a couple of things. Did you think you were going to be drafted? Did you think you were going to be drafted that high? And I know the story, but please uh, tell the listeners about how you found out the Islanders selected you. Um, okay, 
No, I didn't think because you got to remember, I got traded, and they told me I wasn't going to get drafted till the fifth round. That's when I was rated to go. Uh, I was nobody. Um, and the guy they traded me for, Sean LeBron, was supposed to get drafted in the third round. So I had, I to be honest, I didn't even know when the draft was. Uh, I had no idea. But at the time, Todd and I are living in an apartment in in Vancouver. Uh, I think it was in New Westminster too. Uh, so we have an apartment together, and we're living there. And I remember I'm in the shower, and uh, Todd comes in because early in the morning, and he rips the shower open, and I'm, you know, what the hell are you doing, dude? I'm in the shower, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, "Phone call for you, phone call for you, phone call for you," and then he hands me the phone. So I'm shot the water off, and I'm standing there, and guy did gets on the phone and says, hi, Dean, this is Bob Nystrom. Now, Bob Nystrom was my idol. Uh, this is the guy that I wanted. Him and Clark Gillies, they were the best players ever in my view. So I, that's who I wanted to play with. So I pick up the phone, and I'm like, yeah, and he goes, yeah, this is this is Bobby Nystrom, and I want to tell you that we just drafted you 55th overall. I, excuse my language, but I said, yeah, fuck yeah. off, Mac. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you thought it was Mike McWilliam. I thought it was Mike McWilliam playing a joke on me, and I hung up on him. Well, the phone call comes back, and Todd's freaking out. what are you doing? <laughs> Matt, he goes, that wasn't Matt. Phone rings again, and he goes, yeah, this is Bob Nystrom again. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I just hung up on my idol. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so he, he started laughing, and... Uh, uh, so then that's how I found out I got drafted. Then later, I remember you brought me a photo of the draft board. Yes. And it's one of the funniest things because everyone else has a nameplate. And then I have someone took a hockey tape and put it by the Islanders and then wrote my name. Yeah. Well, no, actually, there's two guys on that board that were written in tape. And <laughs> there, there's... <laughs> Two guys who I, I, I'm proud to say are friends of mine, and I love you guys dearly, and one of them is you, and the other one is Killer. <laughs> yeah. And you're both written in, it, it's like you put a piece of tape on it and wrote it in Sharpie, where everyone else yeah. has the, ni the nice uh, like plaque with the printed name and everything, and then in, in Sharpie, someone wrote you in, and then they wrote Kaminsky. Yeah. <laughs> I, that is hilarious. Like, you can't make it up. Oh, it's it's just fitting, isn't it? Oh, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It, you know, it absolutely does. It, it's just, and again, this is the kind of thing that would never happen today. You know, I'm sure at the draft today, they're prepared for anybody, and I'm sure they can make up those those name boards in two seconds. So they're never going to be, there's never going to be a situation like this. But, you know, back then, it's just, oh, all right, does someone have gaffing tape or something? Let's get it up there and just write it in Sharpie, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, they're never going to have Link Gates in a draft. No, well, his story, his draft story is pretty good, too. Yeah. So, <laughs> With yeah. two black guys and yeah. two cases of beer. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, was the story go, uh, we drafted Medano first, then we drafted Gates to protect Medano, and then, uh, what did he say, we should have drafted a lawyer to protect Link? Yeah. So, <laughs> it's just classic stuff that you don't, you just don't, you don't see this stuff anymore, and it's a shame, you know? Oh, the characters, man, characters. So you get drafted and you go to camp with the team, and um, 
there were still some pretty big name guys in that locker room when you came to Long Island for training camp, weren't there? There was a lot. There was a lot. Uh, well, Gary Nyland was still there. Uh, Mick, well, Mick was young. There was Craig Ludwig, um, Brian Curran, uh, Dale Henry. There was all those guys. With Trottier was still there? Trottier was still there. Uh, LaFontaine was still there. Miko Makala. Uh, um, what's his face? Uh, big defenseman, Morrow. Ken Morrow, yeah, Morrow. yeah. Yeah, Billy, uh, you know, it was still remnants of these guys who I grew up watching in their dynasty. Yeah. And this no. was your team. You were you grew up an Islander fan. I think a lot of uh, what a lot of people don't realize is back in the time around when you were drafted, the Islanders used to draft a lot of guys from the Western League because of uh, I think it was Tex Amon. He was I don't know if he was from out there or whatever, but the Islanders were a big deal. I mean, obviously any team that wins and if you win four cups, you're going to be a big deal anywhere. But they were very popular out west, especially, which is saying something because you grew up and you grew up outside Edmonton, so you could easily root for Edmonton. But I, I can't tell you how many guys that I know that are from out west that grew up Islander fans, and this is your team, and you're walking into a locker room and you look across their way, and there's Brian Trottier, or uh, I don't know if Billy Smith was still there, or Kelly Rudy, or like you say, Pat Lafontaine. That's got to be like wild. It, it was. I mean, and that's the hard part because you come from these little towns in Western Canada anyway. You come from these little towns um, watching these guys on TV. And, you know, you're, you're playing the game because you love it. Uh, guys in the back of their mind, I think, think about playing. I mean, you always dream about playing in the NHL, but you don't go through those things unless you love doing it. Uh, so you love the game and you keep playing and then all of a sudden you get a call that says okay we want you to come to New York and then you go to the locker room and and here's these guys who the week before you were watching on television yeah uh, I'll be honest I don't think I had a little I think I was starstruck well you did tell me a story once and I don't know if it was this training camp but there was uh uh, it might have been because I know Mackle is involved in it, where you were doing drills and you didn't have um, you didn't have enough guys to play on your line. So it was you. Was it you? And then someone uh, skated with you on there for that drill. We're just doing the most basic drill you can ever do to warm up at the start of practice. You're the hash marks away from each other, or inside the hash marks, and you're supposed to skate down beside some guy and touch past the puck back and forth. We don't have enough guys. So Bobby Nystrom, who has a skate on, comes over, knows that he, I, you know, I idolize him. So he goes, hey, let's uh, me and you go. And <laughs> I can't make the pass to save my life. I'm hitting me. I'm hitting him in the shin. I, I'm surprised I didn't rattle one off his shoulder. I mean, I cannot. And the whole time I'm going, I sucked. Oh, my gosh, I sucked. <laughs> and I'm just eating the crap out of my eye. At first I hung up on him. Now I'm hitting smoking pucks off his knees. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Nystrom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of... That was fun. And now, uh, for those of you that are listening to this and hopefully will continue to listen to shows, the next question you're going to hear a lot from guys that played um, around the same time Dean did. So there's a rookie game 
that you played against the Rangers at the Coliseum, and uh, I believe the rookie games were played in the afternoon of uh, days when the, uh, the like that day the Islanders played the Rangers at the Coliseum that night in an exhibition game, but in the afternoon the rookies played, and this is. Uh, for Islander fans, I guess some Ranger fans too, maybe not as much, but I know for Islander fans like myself, uh, this is a game that's the stuff of legend, and I would kill to have video of it, but I'm pretty sure none exist. So I rely on the stories of those who were there. So could you just talk about that rookie game? Well, it's a, first of all, you're stepping into... Because, of course, there's guys who have been involved in the Islander-Ranger rivalry far before when we got but you know that this is a rival. Um, so you look down their bench, and they have Jimmy Lattish, Rudy Postcheck, Donnie Herzig, uh, Mark Tenorti. I mean, they're just stacked. Guys who were the heavyweight champs of their league are now all over there. Um, and we had a pretty good team, too. Uh, so things are tense to begin with, and you always know there's going to be a fight. Well, all I remember is we're sitting on the bench, and it's in the first period. And it's, I, I think it's pretty early. But Kerry uh, Clark, who's with us, yeah, scores a goal. And his big thing was he would moonwalk between the blue lines and then do the shoulder-shoulder, hip-hip thrust, three amigos after he scored. That's what he did in junior all the time. And he'd always have to fight. Well, you're figuring, okay, we're at the pro level. He's not going to do that. Sure enough, in Nassau County, <laughs> in front of the Rangers, he skates by their bench, moonwalks from their blue line to our blue line, stops, looks at their bench, shoulder, shoulder, hip, hip, thrust, turns his head, and I look down their bench, and I see them passing out jars of Vassal. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now for, for the people who don't know... Um, there's a lot of guys, the, the guys you named, like Tenorti and Poshek and Laddish and Herzig, uh, on their team and on your team, you know, you were there and Mick was there and, uh, you know, Sharky, you just said, uh, Rod Dahlman was there. I don't know if Byron was there. These are all guys that you played against each other in the Western League. So you're not, you're not thinking, hey, I wonder if that guy's tough. You know that guy's tough. You, for instance, you know on that bench, Rudy Poshek was arguably the toughest guy in the Western League. And they know on your bench that Mick Vakoda was arguably the toughest guy in the Western League. So you're all aware of each other. And like you say, you know that, that Sharky's going to do this. And you've seen what happens in the past. So now as he's doing that moonwalk, you had to be thinking, oh, here we go. Yeah, you, I did. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Not here. <laughs> <laughs> but you just, you kind of, you slump your shoulders and you go, okay, here we go. And... I think there was 300 and some penalty minutes in that first period. Everybody had two fights. Yeah. Everybody. Uh, except for the goalies, I think. They might have even fought. I don't know. Now, who did you fight? I fought Rudy twice. Yeah, so you picked the baddest dude on their team. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I guess it would be between him and Tenorti. And I know that Mick fought Tenorti. And I know you fought Rudy. I know uh, Sharky fought uh, Herxeg. Um, I don't Sal, know. I can't remember who Sal fought. Yeah, a, a Dolly. I don't know. I don't remember who he fought. Wow. Yeah, it's a. It was a gong show. Yeah, I, I remember. That was the first time I really 
had a had a square off. Well, no, I'd had some other fights, but uh, you got there was a difference between junior tough and pro tough. Uh, in junior, a lot of guys they were killers in junior, but if you hit them a couple good times, the fight was over. Yeah, uh, it was the first time because I'd never fought Rudy because uh, he was he was twenty when I was sixteen, so I knew who he was, but I would he would never come after me because I was a kid. It yeah. didn't do anything for him, right? You know, what's beating up a sixteen year old going to do? Right, and he was arguably the toughest guy down there when you played. Yeah, he was, he was pretty tough. They yeah. knew. Yeah. Everybody knew he was easily the toughest guy on the team. Yeah. Um, so I remember I hit him probably four times better than I've hit anybody in my life. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'm doing good. And he shook his head and started growling at me. <laughs> <laughs> What the hell did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah, and obviously it worked because then you went and fought him again. Yeah, we went. Well, we I know the first one, and you look at nowadays when they break them up before they even square off. Yeah, they jump in all the time. We fought, and I remember it started on the far side of the ice by the red line, and when they broke us up, we had made it all the way down the ice behind the net back up towards the players benches so basically half the ice we had gone all the way around fight and then they broke us up so the first period ends and now you go in the locker room and uh and i believe bobby nystrom was coaching that game wasn't he yeah what kind of uh locker room speech did he give you guys i don't think you're he said at some point guys we got to try and play hockey Uh, so obviously I know about that game, uh, and and uh, for that first camp though, any other you know any other memories from from the first camp that stand out in your mind before you went back to Spokane? I remember I was like one of the top ten guys. What they used to do was they used to uh, everyone would play together. Like now, how they break it up into a rookie camp and then a main camp? Yeah. Back then they just had camp. So you got to play along. I got to play alongside. I remember I was playing on a line with uh, Trache and Miko Mackle. That's not bad. I, I think I was top fifteen in scoring in camp, <laughs> and I never, I never left my end of the ice. Hey, you didn't have I to. Marks for a breakout. They'd give me a puck. I'd chip it to the center. Trache would beat a couple guys and hit Mackle at going Mach five down the far side of the ice, and he'd score. <laughs> and this was. And, and center ice again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You got a point. And this was, uh, you know, for everyone, Islander fans, maybe uh, younger fans that don't remember Miko Makala, uh, Miko Makala will always hold a special place in my heart because he's who the Islanders sent to L.A. for Ken Baumgartner. So, uh, obviously not a huge fan of, uh, you know, European style, but I always love Miko Makala because he's how Ken Baumgartner got here. Yep. Yep. And then the other thing was, uh, I guess, Pat LaFontaine. I got to be on the ice with him once. Uh, we were taking a face-off, and he stops before they drop the puck, skates over, and says, whatever you do, just go put your stick against the front post. Make sure your blade's on the ice, and just put your stick in. Okay, whatever. This is Pat LaFontaine. He tells yeah. you to do it, you do it. Yeah. So, puck drops. He wins the draw. I have... 
tunnel vision stick on post. That's all I'm going to do. So I skate over, and as soon as I put my stick on the post, he had been controlling the puck, turned around, put it right off my tape, and then the net so I could score. Uh, how, I mean, that's <laughs> awesome. And I, and I love, and you know, I was fortunate enough when, when Patty was here, that was around the time I started college, so I was driving, and I was able to go to the practices at Kaniac Park, and I, I tell you, you know, I don't get emotional about Patty, but the guy was just class. Like, I mean, just a, you know, forget about he was nice for an athlete, like just a good human being, like a really, really great guy. And, you know, the, when they traded him, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, liked the trade. I mean, Pierre came in and he did very well, and especially his contract year, he lit it up. But I, Patty is always going to be one of my favorite players. I totally, not, not that I wouldn't believe it otherwise, but that's such a Pat LaFontaine thing, the story you just said, because it just sounds exactly like something he would do. Well, when you, when you come into to camp, we, we all had camp together, but they had separate locker rooms. The Islanders, the team, or the guys close to being on the team, they would get an actual hockey locker room. And we would be in whatever rooms they could scrounge up, all the extra guys, whether it be, uh, you know, a locker room somewhere, a maintenance closet, whatever, <laughs> wherever they could put us, they put us. Well, I remember sitting in there the first day when we come to the practice facility, and Pat LaFontaine's going from new guy to new guy and introducing himself and finding and being interested in them. You know, hey, where, where are you from? This, you know, how'd you like it? What do you hear? Are you a little nervous? If you are, you know, don't worry about it. It's just hockey. Yeah, uh, he was actually, he was remarkable. Yeah. But, uh, you don't hear enough of the stories about how some of those guys are just fantastic. Yeah, he was he was the best, and it, it bothers me. I know there was some uh, friction between him and the team, and, and he was eventually traded, and I know they tried to reconcile, and it just, it bothers me that there's no banner for him. It, it's... He's not obviously not a race from the record books, but I mean, this is a guy, and I could just wax poetic about him for a while. But you know, when he was here, he he, he was kind of the transition guy from the Cup years uh, to those guys retiring and getting traded. And a lot of times, he really didn't have a lot of help. He still he was an amazing player and an amazing human, and I love the guy. I I just as far as you know, obviously people who know me know I, I always gravitate towards the fighters and the enforcers. But as far as non enforcers go. Uh, Patty is right up there, one of my favorite players of all time. Yeah, he's a class guy. Yeah. Really a class guy. So we move on. We go back to Spokane after your Islander camp. And um, now Mick is gone. He's moved on to Springfield. Uh, Tony Horacek and Darcy Lowen are still there. And then uh, Link Gates is now uh, in that role. So he, I guess he's your new... Uh, I guess it's not a tag team with the four you got, three you guys there, four you guys, but... Uh, Link's now in the spot where Mick was, and uh, it's you, Link, and Tony, and Darcy Lowen. Um, Donnie that, Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so again, it's the Western League, so you're not just talking to guys. But now, you mentioned that, you know, you fought Link already, and, you know, like I say, you and Link always got along okay, and, you know... So with Mick gone, does a guy like Horacek, because I guess he's the oldest guy out of there, does he assume the role of not necessarily mentor, but the older guy, or is it kind of a committee type thing? It, it's he is Tony was the guy. He carried a lot of respect in that locker room. Um, 
you know, we still had the old, the older guy like Mark Winger, um, but really this was transitioning to a younger team. But you always look, and it was more him and Troy Gamble. Gamby was our goaltender, uh, who would kind of him and Brian Larkin were the kind of guys who would who would try and control everyone and kind of move things along. But it was it was more by committee. They weren't as Mick can dominate a locker room, and, and Tony Tony is big and as strong and as talented and as tough as he is. He's a laid back guy. Yeah, you know he didn't. That wasn't what he wanted. He he was good. He would talk to you, but he just wanted to do Tony, yeah. you know. And nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So, in a five day span in this season with uh, the Chiefs, you fought Kelly Chase, Reed Simpson, and Lyle Odeline. So anyone listening to this probably is familiar with those three names. So that's uh, that's not a bad trio to fight over a five day span. Do you remember any any of those fights or all of them? Uh, I remember. What was the first one? Uh, Kelly Chase. Kelly Chase. I remember. Uh, he had me tied up. He didn't hurt when he punched you, but I remember. The, Punches coming and hitting me in the nose, and they weren't hurting, but I was just in awe of somehow how he had me tied up. Yeah, I was trying to figure that. That sounds like but, Kelly Chase. Yeah, I mean, very slippery, hard to hit. Uh, but I—he's a magician when it came to slipping and tying you up. And I remember getting hit and looking down and going, "How was he doing this to my arms?" Yeah. Um. Then. I remember squaring off with Reed. He was with Prince Albert, I think, at the time. Yeah. And all I remember from that was at the time, now Kimball was playing for Prince Albert. Yeah, we're going to get to him in a second. And we squared off, and I could hear Kimball saying that, you know, come on, Rito, beat him up or something like that. And I think that one went pretty much my way. Yeah. And then I didn't know who Lyle Odom yeah, I didn't know how what kind of a name he had in the Western League. Obviously, people know him with Montreal. He had a great, I mean, tremendous NHL career, Stanley Cup champion. I wasn't quite sure uh, how how uh, what his reputation was in the Western League. I, I really had no idea who he was. Yeah, uh, I heard you know because you look at the stat sheet before the game, so I knew he had penalty minutes. Yeah, but I didn't even really know it was him. Somehow we ended up squaring off and. Uh, I think that one was a little one-sided. In from whose favor? In mine. Okay, not bad. Yeah. That's that's not a that's not a bad guy to have on your card with the victory next to it. And it, and it must have been because you're as humble as it gets. You're not going to say that if you don't honestly feel that. So for those of you listening out there, he's not bragging. If he, uh, you know, if, uh, over the years when I've. Uh, talk to Dean about his fights it's like pulling teeth to try to get him to admit he did well in any of them so you must have done pretty well for you to actually say that there, there's a lot more fun guys to watch than me I know that. yeah we've discussed this but that's for another time <laughs> so a guy you just mentioned Darren Kimball one of my favorite players of all time a former teammate of yours uh, he was on Prince Albert at the time you fought him twice in one game do you remember that did I? yeah I guess not. He must have hit you pretty hard. 
Must have. Well, it's the same thing. Someone told, I think Tony Twist told me once that we fought in junior, and I don't remember it, so. Yeah. Maybe I have a, they, they must have really hit me hard. <laughs> well, you know with Kimball, he's going to throw him hard and fast, so uh, he must have done a number on you, I guess. Well, that's, that's the thing. Uh, how do I put this nicely? Uh, how what the fights they have that are actually listed yeah. are probably not even close to how many there were. Oh yeah, I would think so. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, it was back then. It was it was known what was going to happen and who was going to go. Uh, like you hear guys talk about it now. What when you're in a fight, you're not scared. You're not worried. Like if you're in school, when you're actually get punched in the face and you're in a fight, you're not worried about. It. It's the lead-up to the fight. So if you know all night that there's this gang of nutcases who are chomping at the bit to punch you in the face, it that's tough. Yeah. That's tough. So was this the season? I don't know if you want to say it. If you don't want to say it, that's okay. But wasn't there was there an incident in the in the uh, dressing room? With uh, Link you're, and uh, Travis Green, <laughs> <laughs> now you know I, what I'm talking about. Was that this? I, I guess that was the season. Yeah, that was the season. Yeah. You want to you want to uh, mention it, or we'll keep it quiet. I I, I don't know. I mean, because that's not a me story. That's the story about yeah. the people. Okay. So I don't know. Let's just let's just say that uh, Travis Green and Link had an ongoing feud. Yeah. Of name calling. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so we'll leave it at that. But one thing I'm sure you will get into, um, was this the season that there may have been an alleged bounty uh, on Mr. Len Barry of Victoria? No, we never had a bounty. Well, that's why I said alleged. But if there were, if there was a bounty, could you kind of figure out how it would go? We we just didn't like him. Yeah. Did he play? Did he manage to? Did he play in all the games that year against Spokane? Oh, I I think he got the flu a couple times. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, we'll leave the we'll leave it at that then. Uh, so then you make the playoffs that year and you had a fight with the next team. You had a fight. trying to implicate implicate me in a criminal activity. Well, you can't put a bounty on a man's head. <laughs> could all end up in the clinker for this. <laughs> all right, so moving on, that year in the playoffs, uh, you fought an old friend of yours, Tony Horacek, who was a teammate earlier in the season. Do you remember how that went? I fought Tony? God almighty, these guys must have beat the shit out of you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> according to the research I've done, you fought him, but maybe you didn't. I don't know. No, we probably did. I would say so, but uh, all right, I guess that went his way. Uh, I remember because the one I remember for him was the the big showdown was between him and Link. Um, they didn't like each other very much. Was that regular season or playoff? That was regular season. Right, right after he had been traded, Kamloops came into school camp. Okay. Um, Link wasn't real popular on the whole team at that time. Um. Yeah. So it was kind of weird watching guys cheer for the guy from the other team. 
Yeah, because you had said Tony was very popular. Unbelievably popular. Yeah. You know, uh, super nice guy. Yeah. And uh, and Lincoln was just starting to get... And I think that was hard on him. I think the hard part for Link was when you're in New Westminster, small town in Canada, you're... You know, no one really knows. No one really cares. Yeah, you're a hockey player. Well, everyone's a hockey player. Well, he came down when he got traded to Spokane, and he fought Jay Stark from Portland. And it was going pretty good, and then he, like, three-punched him. Three punches put him down on the ice, So, and they got video on Well, next thing you know, it's all over. They're replaying it on the evening news. And in Spokane... I mean, we had our own top forty radio show. Uh, it was, it was a completely different world. You were a superstar. Mm-hmm. You're walking into restaurants and not paying for a meal. Yeah. You know, you're leading the sports. It was all about the Chiefs. Like I said, the the one station they had Casey Kasem's top forty, and they ended up getting rid of it because it was more popular to have top 40 with Spokane Chiefs and we'd go into studio and do the top 40 on break. Oh, that must have been fun. It's it's too much for a young kid. Yeah, I could see that. I could, uh, Yeah, definitely. Because you're still teenagers, so it's a lot. It's a lot, I guess. Yeah, and you're, you're in a different place and um, you weren't held in that regard in your small town in Canada. Then you came down here and I think that was one of the things that really affected Link, because he was, what, from Vanderhoof, British Columbia? Yeah, something like that. I know BC for sure. Yeah, that tells you, you know, so he's from some little northern forestry town, and then all of a sudden he's leading the news. Yeah. And the pictures everywhere, so. How did the fight go when he fought Tony? Uh, it was a good fight. Tony won. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. They stood back and threw bombs at both big guys. Yeah, and and I, I think you'd have, I'd give the edge to Tony. Cool. So uh, season ends now. You go to Islander camp next year. So it's your second camp. You know, it's you know you know what to expect. You know, it's not your first camp anymore. Your second camp. You're still a young guy. Uh, but now, do you prepare differently for the second cha- uh, second camp? Um, did you approach it any differently? Did you think you had a chance to make the team, or what, what's your mindset going into that second camp? You still knew that there was, I mean, they were still pretty good. They weren't terrible, but they were pretty good, but they're still the NHL, and you think you can. Uh, but to be honest, my whole life, I never really gave it that much thought. Maybe I should have, but I just would show up and play, Yeah, and it happened to happen. Um, I think that's the one where can't remember if it was this year. Yeah, it was where all the fighters got hurt in camp. Where every guy got hurt because we were supposed to play Philadelphia. Can't remember if it was the year before or this one. And then uh, Simpson was the coach, Terry Simpson. Okay. And I remember because Mick got hurt. Kerry got hurt, Curran got hurt, uh, Sutter got, everyone got hurt. All the guys who were there to fight got hurt. Okay. 
Yeah, because it was a gong show. So I remember I'm sitting in the hotel, uh, the Long Island Marriott, and I get a call, and they say, get your stuff, uh, get down to the bus, because you're playing in the Spectrum. Yeah, that was this year. Yeah, that was this year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not even thinking about hockey at this point. I'm thinking, okay, my skate's over, I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watch the game on TV or something, I don't know. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, ended up playing in that game where you look around and it's Stanley Brown, Kerr, Barubis skating around, Chikrin. Yeah, well, you, you know. fought twice. You fought him twice. Yeah, I don't know if you could call it a fight. Well, you dropped <laughs> the gloves, you know. So, But again, look, you showed up and you didn't go down, I don't think, in either one. That's one thing you never never really go down in any of your fights. So, I mean, hey, you're just a kid. And like you say, you're, you're going into this famed arena. Now, you're, you're, you're a hockey fan. So, you know, a lot of guys that play, they don't know the history. They don't know, uh, you know, the stories. But you grew up a hockey fan, so you're well aware of the Flyers and the Bullies and the Spectrum. So you're just this pup going into the spectrum, and like you say, you're rattling off the list of all these guys that you're going up against, and just like you said, the rest of the guys are, are back hurt, back home hurt. So, uh, you know, it was kind of like, all right, you know, pick your poison, and you just happened to go with Chickren twice. Yeah, I got, I don't even think he was looking to fight. Yeah. I think I stand in front of the net, and he kind of cross-checked me, and I just dropped my gloves and turned around both times. Yeah. Like, I... Uh, I remember after the second one, Terry Simpson, it's going to be a, sounds like a theme, but he, he looks at me and goes, you know, at some point you can try and play hockey. <laughs> well, did he know you from the West? Because he was with Prince Albert, correct? Yes, he did. Yeah, so he was well aware of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was actually very good because he wanted me to play. More. And I remember you know, I had had a bunch of exhibition games that year. Where I I'd actually scored some goals. Yeah. You know, I was I was starting to play a little. You also, uh, I don't know if, uh, now at this point, were you strictly exhibition games or were you still playing rookie games? Uh, well, the reason why I, I'm asking is because you fought, you managed to, because again, here's another theme, you don't pick on small guys, you managed to fight Troy Crowder. Right? No, I don't think I fought Troy Crowder. Well, uh, the research I have uh, that I have is that you fought Jamie Huscroft and Troy Crowder. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I that's what I read. Maybe I, I don't. I remember fighting Jamie Huscroft. Yeah, I remember fighting him. I couldn't tell you how it went. Well, apparently, you fought in the same game you fought Jamie Huscroft. You fought somebody named Dan Worst, and then the next night, allegedly. You fought Troy Crowder and John Blessman. Okay. And yeah, that week, a week later was when you met up with uh, Chikrin. So. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, uh, any other? Yep. Anything else from that camp, though? Like, like I said, your second camp. Uh, like you remember that all the tough guys were hurt. Anything? So, so like I said. Um, do you think you have a chance of making the team? Is it when they, they send you back? Uh, now, at that point, you couldn't go to Springfield. You had to go back to junior, correct? Yeah, I think it was a different league back then. Yeah. I mean, you weren't going to be, unless you're 
Eric Lindros or Mike Madano or something, and even them, they're not. Yeah. You're not stepping from junior to the national high. Mm-hmm. It's just not happening. Right. You know, Wayne Gretzky is the only guy who would really do something like that. But you had to be that good. Yeah. They were, I think back then they were more on, you're going to turn pro, you're going to get a taste of the pro game in the minors, and then, and we're going to groom you and you're going to be ready to play. Gotcha. It was, it was, because I think the hardest part people don't give it credit is you get starstruck. Yeah. And, and especially when it came to, when you're in your hometown, you're the best player in your small area. You're usually, most of the guys who were fighters were head and shoulders the best players on their team growing up through youth hockey. And then they're really good players when you get to a provincial level. And then when you go all of a sudden countrywide, well, you're not the best, but you're pretty good. But now you're talking international and pro, well, you got to figure out something to do because you're not that good. Not that you're not good, but you're not superstar good, international. You're not that good, relatively speaking. Yes. Yeah, well, look at, uh, well, Scott Parker, the guy you know well. Yeah. I I don't know him at all, but I know he scored 40 goals in the Western Hockey League. Yeah. So he was good enough to score 40 goals in the Western Hockey League, but he wasn't a goal scorer in the National Hockey League. So no, and, and one thing I always say, to be fair, you guys don't get the opportunity, you don't get the ice time that you get in junior and in the minors uh, in the NHL when you play. Like, Parker did not get the ice time with Colorado that he got with Kelowna. Um, yeah. You know, and, may, and, and he probably wouldn't have scored 40 goals with Colorado, but you never know. Does he score 15? Does he score 20? They expect you to do a certain thing. Yeah. I mean, Bob Probert made the All-Star team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you brought up Kelly Chase with it. Kelly Chase actually had great hands. Yeah. He can stick hand on a phone booth. But you, you'd never know that. No. Not unless you saw him in Saskatoon, probably. Yeah. Maybe Peoria, but definitely not with St. Louis. You just don't get the opportunity. Nope. nope. And that's, 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 I guess, what I'm trying to say, is that once that talent pool gets worldwide, you have to adapt parts of your game. So even if you, you're not big into doing it, you have to. You have to find some way that that goes into that whole mental state. You're not going to be broken. I'm going to find a way to get there. Yeah. So camp ends. You head back to Spokane. You play five games, 53 penalty minutes, and now all of a sudden you're traded to Seattle. And you told me the story how that came about. Why don't you tell everybody else? <laughs> The league mandated trade. So the Western League went to Spokane and told them to trade you. They they went to one of the great guys in hockey, one of the all-time fantastic general managers ever and people. Bob Strum was the general manager of of the Spokane Chiefs at the time. And they pulled him into the offices in Calgary. They said, if you do not trade Dean to Seattle, we are going to ban him for life. Why? I'm trying to... Was that the... 
Which incident? Oh, that was the Lynn Berry incident. Allegedly. No, there was nothing alleged about it. I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just, I don't know what we can say here. No, um, we were getting killed by Victoria in Victoria, and I picked up the puck behind the net and I started to skate up, and it's like I don't know, eleven nothing or eleven one or something. There's a couple minutes left in the game. <clears throat> Most people would have let it go at that. You know, you know how guys just kind of kill time. Yeah. And I have the puck. I mean, it's basically going to be square when I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm skating up the ice, and he comes up from behind, lifts my stick, and takes the puck and turns around for the breakaway. And all I remember is I caught him, and then I two-handed him over the head. <laughs> well, and let's be honest, it's eleven nothing. I'm not saying he deserved it, but that was kind of a dick move. I thought so. Yeah, I don't. Get to touch. I had never got to touch the puck that much. I mean, let me play with it. <laughs> it's not like I'm a threat to score, right? So, um, no. So I did that. So it was a league mandated trade to to uh, Seattle. I think it was like a five for one or five for two. And that was a that was a great thing for you because you got to play for Barry Melrose, and Russ Farwell was the gem. Uh, what you like of what you like about Barry Melrose? I mean, I think I know what you liked about him, but uh, how was it playing for him? He wasn't your ultimate X's and O's guy. I remember that, but it was all about accountability, and everyone played the same. And if you played the way he wanted you to play, you played you would get the power play time. If you did what he told you, you'd play all the time. And I like that. It, it was almost like a meritocracy. It was based on your your effort and what, you know, if you adhered to his rules, then you got to play. And if you wanted to buck the system and do it your own way, then you were done. You had a really good group of guys there. Um, Jay Stark, Rob Dumas, uh, Darcy Simon, underrated guy, Corey Bolio, and uh, young Turner Stevenson were all on that team. So, uh, and I think yeah, Danny Lorenz was the goalie. No, Danny Lorenz was the goalie. Yep. Yeah. So you had a good group of guys there. How does a guy that just gets traded there end up wearing the captaincy? I have no idea. <laughs> well, that's a credit to you, though. No, I mean, you know, you you you're a new guy on a team. You, you play there, it's the one season you're there, and you end up wearing the C. So, I mean, obviously, was that something that the, the coaches uh, voted on or the players? Uh, to be honest, I, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a, a coach GM slash player thing. Okay. I mean, I thought it was going to be Goody or Vic or someone like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we had Shannon Travis who had been there for a while. Uh, I just came in and, and just, again, you go to a place where I knew nobody. Um, and then you just try and fit in. And it was nice. I was getting a chance to play. Getting a chance. And they expected me to play. One of the things that Barry does, and if you watch his old tapes of when he was coaching uh, the L.A. Kings, he would say, everyone finishes their check. Uh, like if you watch Wayne Gretzky, he'll finish his check. He might do it flyby and barely touch the guy, but he's going to finish it. 
because he would tell us, he'd go, you know, Vic, I expect you to run into people. Dean, I expect you to run over people. It's the same game. I just expect different results. Now, speaking to the point I made earlier about playing time, so you had mentioned Parker in the goals that he scored in Kelowna. Uh, that year in 66 games, you had 52 points, 22 goals. You managed 254 penalty minutes, but this is what I'm saying. You got 300. 300. But, no, you had 300 total with Spokane. Yeah. But with, with just with Seattle, you had 254. So okay. this is what I'm trying to say is that the guys who do this job, I know that uh, bloggers and uh, some people in the media want to paint the broad brush, oh, there's some men heads, there are goons, this and that. But the fact is, you know, are you going to score 50 goals at the NHL level or as a pro? Probably not. But a lot of a lot of guys who do this job have proven at every level where they get playing time that you put up some points. So, I mean, 52 points in 66 games, new guy go there, wear the captaincy. That's that's a pretty big deal, I think. Yeah, there's lots of guys. <clears throat> I mean, uh, on Victoria, they had Jim McKenzie. Yeah. And I remember Jim McKay had a seven-point game. Yeah. I mean, how many guys do you... You see it all the time. There's guys whose games, who did nothing in junior, who weren't the best players on their junior team, but their game just translates to the pro level. It just does. Yeah. One of the, one of the guys that... Well, hell, one of the guys that was in the trade with me that went back to Spokane, John Clem. How many years did he play? Yeah. yeah. He was a he was a throw in on a trade. Yeah. And he ends up what, ten years in the National Hockey League? Twelve years in the National Hockey League? Yeah, he might have won the he might have been on that cup team with Colorado, I'm not sure. Yeah, so. I mean, but it's just you know, maybe he wasn't a standout at junior, but his game translated to the professional So you're probably gonna say it's not a big deal, but I don't know if this was the first year or if it was one of the first years they did the Best of the West, uh, the survey in the Western League of coaches and GMs, and uh, you were voted toughest player. So, toughest toughest player in a league where it's not very tough or it's whatever is not necessarily a big deal, but being toughest player any year in the Western League is, is a big deal. So, how do you feel about that? I think they. I think I led the league in penalty minutes or something like that. And that's all. They did. Also, it had nothing to do with your actual fights. It was just these are the GMs and coaches that see the players, but they probably just because of your numbers. Yeah, I think so. I think it was just some reporter who just said that. You're so frustrating. I swear to God. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So the season ends in Seattle. I, league. I mean, that league was a. It, it was toned down a little bit, actually quite a bit, but there was some very, very, very tough guys in the league. Yeah, I know, and you're one of them. Anyway, oh, shut up. All right, so, <laughs> so you, so do you, were, do you know how many penalty minutes you finished your Western League career with? Not a clue. Nine hundred ninety-nine. Yeah, that was it. That would be because we talked about this. I, I should have got one more minor. Yeah, yeah, you're a slacker. I, I, you know, I'm a quitter. What that's that's a season and a half for Kerry Toporowski. That's all I'm saying. Hey, how many guys could go right to the edge and just not be there? Well, <laughs> like you can't get any closer than I did. It's very true. It's very true. 
So you took your 999 penalty minutes and you played six games for Springfield. Uh, you had 26 penalty minutes and uh, highlighted by a two-fight game against New Haven. Do you remember that at all? Not necessarily anything specific, but just um, you went to two camps with the Islanders and even though you played in games, exhibition games, whatever, now the, now the games count um, in the minors and your, your kid coming up from Seattle. Springfield had a tough team and you got in a few games. You remember that transition at all? I, I remember uh, Bruce Billard. What was his name? Uh, it was he's the coach now. Oh, uh, Bruce Boudreaux. Oh. He was the captain. Boudreaux. I remember walking into the locker room, and I thought he was the coach. Yeah. He got his shirt off, and how he looks now is how he looked then. Yeah. And you know, and he's walking around talking, and I'm going, "Hey, what's the coach's name?" <laughs> And I think it was Dolly looks at me and goes, that's our leading scorer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Chris Sorrell was there. I remember that. Well, was, uh, Jimmy Roberts was the coach, no? Yes. Now, I know you love Jimmy Roberts. I know I know you have a lot of respect for him. He ended up, we, actually, we talked a number of times. He lives out here in St. Louis until he passed. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I remember how you felt about him, and I, and I think the way that you felt about Jimmy Roberts is probably universal. Um, you know, there are certain coaches, and again, especially nowadays, where you're going to hear different stories about. But uh, people that play for Jimmy Roberts at any level, I don't think anyone has a bad thing to say about him. No, he was different. He had his own way of doing things. Um, we, like we would do three on twos, breakouts, three on two with a regroup. Um. In practice, with no pucks, That's you had to you had to say pass, 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 shoot, and then the goalie had to say save. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, was there a, a dearth of pucks in uh, Springfield? Was there a puck budget or something? No, it was just he he had his own way of doing things. He wanted you to get in the habit of knowing what you were doing, yeah. and I mean, he's the coach. Yeah. Uh, he used to put all the pucks, he used to come out with, he wouldn't wear hockey gloves. He'd have like mittens on and a stick and he would sit with his coffee and have all the pucks underneath him in a chair at center ice, a metal folding chair. And you had to do drills when he gave you a puck. We had one puck. All the rest would be under him and you couldn't hit his pucks. And it was amazing how many guys would try and make passes and they'd hit the pucks right through the middle of the ice. Now, you might think it's silly, but what he was trying to teach us was don't take the easiest path. I mean, the easiest place to defend is the center ice. Yeah. That's right in the heart of everything. Find a different angle. That's what he was trying to teach us, and I know some guys get it, some guys don't. Yeah. So I got it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... You can tell him. I totally understand what you're saying, but get it. it gets lost in translation from my brain to my hands. Yeah. 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 I understand. Yeah. So now we entered 8990. It's your third Islanders camp. Now, again, I don't know if this is right. The research I've done, uh, dropyourgloves.com, I have uh, four, four fights, four Islander fights. Uh, Jason Simon twice when he was with New Jersey. 
And then uh, that was a two-fight game. And then two nights later, uh, first time you fought Louis DeBrusque. And uh, actually, both guys you fought a ton with the Rangers here. Uh, Fiorentino and DeBrusque in that, in that game two nights later. So do you remember if those are true or did those happen? Oh, yeah, those happened. Okay. Do you remember anything about them? Just that they were... I mean, that was... I mean, this I is a long time ago. I'm, I'm, I know, I understand, and this is going to be a theme when I when I talk to guys. Like, I'm going to ask you if you remember specific fights, and we're talking decades ago. Um, but you know, these, especially a guy like Jason Simon, who played a handful of games with the Islanders, or a guy like Louis, who played a bunch of NHL games, are people uh, that people would know. So uh, that's why I'm uh, I'm trying to rack your brain here. Was uh, Louis and I, Louis and I ended up fighting a ton. Yeah, it was a good, yeah. This was the first one, and then you guys fought a whole bunch uh, in future seasons. I know he's unbelievably strong. Yeah, I, I, he's just a bull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this team that you played for in Springfield, the um, the Calder Cup team, this team may have been tougher than the New West team. Maybe not the names. Because, like I said, New West Jet, Todd, and, and Kimby were the, were the two headliners, let's say. But listen to this team that you played with here. Uh, Sharky, Kerry Clark, Rod Dahlman, uh, Dean Chenault, Dale Kushner, Sal, Rob DeMaio, uh, Mike Stevens, Dale Henry, uh, Chris Pryor, Derek Laxdahl, Sean Byron, and then later in the year, well, I guess when the Western League uh, season ended, uh, Kevin Chevaldeoff and Dave Chizowski. This is all one season. Now I know. Um, I think uh, Kerry got traded, and Mike Stevens. I don't think. I don't think those guys finished the year, if I'm not mistaken. But that is a pretty badass team you have there. Yeah. <laughs> now, how do you fit in on that team? Now, now, okay. So similar to when you went to New West and you're a young kid and you're coming in with guys like Todd and Kimby and Al May and stuff like that. Now you're a guy, and, and I understand that a lot of these guys like Kerry and Dolly, you're around the same age because you played against each other. But with so many guys that play a similar style, how, what's the dynamic of that room like? It was, it was pretty good. It's not the same. I, I mean, when you take all these guys and you're trying to get them together you have so many when you turn pro there's so many older guys like older older and younger guys there's a big gap yeah uh you know like we had Bergie there too so yeah. you got Cherokee who's walking around in a cowboy hat Bergevin who's got you know dresses like he's off the runway in Paris mm-hmm. and uh you know Dolly who's driving around in a truck and it's just it's it was interesting. It was good. It was it, you throw that many guys together and you just try and figure it out. Now I, I mean, I left that team, but uh, there was a lot of fun stuff that happened. What do you mean you left that team? Uh, that's the year that we won the cup. I left in the playoffs. Yeah, so I, well, yeah, yeah. No, don't say why. I'm going to say I'm going to say that later. Um, so that's your first year pro. So you were obviously, whether you say it or not, you were a name in the Western League, and now you come to the American League, and did you have to start all over again? Because a lot of these guys, especially the veterans, let's say the guys who do the job, they may not know who you are. So do you have to go in and establish yourself all over again? 
Yeah, the whole the whole sequence starts again. You got to yeah. start working your way up. Uh, now you're dealing with the guys who from the Quebec League, the Ontario League. They were the toughest guys there. Yeah. You know, um, so it's it's no biggie. Yeah. You just come in and you, and you try and play. Uh, you try and, and you don't know who anyone is. You're, you're going through the same thing where you're looking at stats, trying to figure out who's the tough guy, how do I have to prove it. You ask around, who's the guy that I have to try, and they tell you. Yeah. And you go and say, excuse me, sir, would you like to dance? <laughs> so just a few guys I want to talk about. One guy you fought who's, I, you know, you don't like when I say this, but you're you're kind of... It, it, for fight nerds like me, you're one of the guys that people talk about in terms of being a, a legend, like a minor league type legend, uh, which is a good and a bad thing, obviously. Uh, another guy in your category is a Serge Roberge, who, now you mentioned Ke fighting Kelly Chase and the way he ties guys up. Serge is a master at that. And I think he was a few years older than you uh, when he was with uh, Sherbrooke and you were with Springfield. Do you remember fighting him? Yeah, I knew who he was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was much of a fight. I think it was more of a wrestling match. Yeah. Because I knew he waited. I mean, from what I had seen, you and I being friends, I think you know this. I was. I like to have all the information I can before. If someone righty lefty, they have a tendency. What do they do? Yeah. Uh, I like to break the guy down. Yeah. So I'm not surprised because I found out the hard way through. Uh, who the hell was I fighting with, New Jersey? Well, you yelled at me because I didn't tell you that Maley was a lefty. I had no... I, well, that one, I didn't even know I was in a fight. I don't know if he was a lefty because he asked me, but you didn't know I was a lefty? I said, I didn't even know I was fighting. <laughs> yeah, you yelled, <laughs> you yelled at me after the game at the Marriott. You scolded me. <laughs> that was very... Uh, you hurt me. You hurt my feelings. Well, yeah, I yelled no. at you. No, but... So, another guy that you yeah, fought that I, I year... I knew Roberge liked, he was really, really fast. Yeah. And so he would, and he could change position on his feet really well. His balance was actually really good. Yeah. So he would wait for you to open up anything more than a quick shot, and then he'd just go to town with that hand. Yeah. And then the moment you got your composure and started to throw back with him, he'd lock you up and go the other side. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to try and do to him what he does to what he tries to do to everybody else, and it ended up just being a wrestler. Yeah. Anything personal with Mike Stuthers? You fought him four times that year. Nothing personal. Yeah. I mean, a, yeah. I, I figured that, but I figured four times in a season is a lot. I didn't know if there was anything personal, but there was something personal with a guy on New Haven that you had fought the year before, and maybe it wasn't personal until that game, but uh, in New Haven, a gentleman named Craig Duncanson, and again, this is on video, so you want to take us through uh, that incident in New Haven. Well, it, that wasn't personal either. I just didn't know what to do. Well, that night it was personal. <laughs> well, yeah. I remember we're getting, and you know me, I, I don't remember all these. It's just because I've had to ask that people. I don't know who puts this stuff on YouTube, but it's killing because <laughs> I have to I can remember all but uh, I remember we were losing 13-1. Yeah, 
common theme in some of the times when this happened. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like you guys are getting uh, the shit kicked out yeah. of you, and then all of a sudden, you're the victim of things. Yeah, it's, it, I'm going to play that victim card. Yeah, there you go. I've been 13-1, and I'm sitting on the bench. Uh, I haven't played a lot. So, uh, Jimmy puts me out there. So I go out, and I know Duncanson's a tough guy, and we just kind of bump. So I give him the look, like, oh, you want to go? And he he's holding on to my stick and his stick. Now, one of the old tricks that you can do is you can pull a guy's stick, and guys won't let go of it, and they'll come towards you, and then you can punch them in the face with your glove on it. Well, I didn't want that to happen, so I let go of my stick. So he took my stick and went in their bench. And I remember standing, it's, I'm literally just standing in New Haven at Center Ice, and I have no idea what to do because this guy just took my stick. <laughs> so I figured I'd go get my stick. And what'd you do? I got a little speed and then pulled a Jimmy Superfly snooker over the boards, and I remember landing on somebody, and they got pushed. They were underneath me, and they got kind of scissored between the bench and the boards. And they were screaming like crazy. Kind of like they were folded into a box. They were in pain. And then a, a New Haven guy had jumped on my back, but everyone crowds in. And I could hear him getting punched in the back of the head, which I'm assuming was Duncanson. Duncanson was trying to punch me, but he was punching his own guy in the back. That's hilarious. <laughs> So then, uh, so then uh, I got escorted out of the game. Yes, and and uh, if you haven't watched the video, the uh, New Haven announcers—they uh, were not very kind to you, um, you know. But uh, they were they were reciting your, they were reciting your stats, and they didn't say it in the most glowing of terms. They didn't like my mom. No, <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> so, um, and this was a season that uh, I believe you had your first encounter with uh, Mr. Rob Ray of uh, Rochester, is that right? Yep. What happened there? Uh, we were playing a home-and-home home with uh, Rochester, and I didn't make the trip out there. Um, and at the time was Buffalo's farm. So I'm... Jimmy Roberts has me and a couple other guys stay at home because, you know, it's a home-and-home home series. And I guess they lost. And uh, Rob fought someone, I think, and then blew kisses at Jimmy Roberts. And I didn't know this until we're in the pregame skate and guys had been telling me that this happened before. So then he came up, uh, Jimmy comes up to me and goes, well, you're in the lineup. I said, I kind of figured. <laughs> and... Uh, so then we went, uh, he, he, we talked about incentives, and then he, uh, someone said something to the paper, and there became a new uh, thing about a bounty and all this kind of stuff, but that, that was never. I mean, you got to say something, because, because we're going to revisit Rob Ray soon, and I think you said something specific to him um, in that game. When you were an island, when you were an Islander, and he was a saber, and it was something, it was a callback to this uh, alleged incentive. So yeah, you know, I knew I was going to play, and 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 
like we talked about, I, everyone thought the world of Jimmy Roberts. Yeah. Um, but you just didn't do that. I mean, if you want to chirp at other players, knock yourself out. But coaches didn't chirp at players, and players didn't chirp at coaches. You know, that was kind of the, the cardinal rule. So when you blow a kiss at the coach, well, we're going to go. Yeah. Well, the newspaper article came out that uh, one of the guys on our team had told one of the guys on Rochester that uh, Jimmy Roberts had put a $200 bounty on his teeth, on Rob Ray's teeth. That's what they wrote in the paper. Yeah. So I just used that. Understood. That would, that would never get offered because that would be illegal. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, sometimes the papers aren't uh, accurate. So you read the paper, you're thinking, hey, I'm I'm not making a whole lot of money. I, uh, You know, you didn't have kids yet, but they were on the way. You knew they were coming, so maybe the extra money might have helped. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, where's this $200? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, actually, and actually what you said um, about chirping the coach, it's, it's funny because it's the same guy, Rob Ray, and uh, another guy who didn't really like him too much was the guy we talked about, Mick Lakota. And there was a, a game, and Mick and Ray went all the time, and it's one of the things I can't wait to talk to Mick about. Uh, but there was a time in Buffalo where uh, Ray turned around and started chirping at Al Arbor. And, I mean, Mick lost his shit on the bench. I mean, went bananas. They eventually fought, and then after the fight, he tried to actually get at him in the locker room in the, in the hallway. So when you say that you don't chirp a coach and, and the coaches don't chirp the players... Uh, that's true, and, and that's something, like I said, that happened with Ray and Jimmy Robbins, and then later it happened with Rob Ray and Al Arbor, and I mean, there's, you know, as far as respect goes, I mean, Jimmy Roberts is well-respected, and everybody knows about Al Arbor, so maybe it was just something he liked to do. And, and I don't know, maybe that was okay, I never played in the Ontario League, I never played in the Quebec League, I don't know where he played, but... Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, you talked earlier about the older guys teaching you the way that you played the game. Yeah. And that, you know, I told the story about uh, Hitchcock and uh, Ernie McLean. Yeah. That between them, I would never have thought in a million years to say a word to Ken Hitchcock. Right. right. You just didn't do that. They were the coaches. Yeah. If the coaches want to go at it, they'd go at it. And the fastest way to have a problem with another coach was to say something to a player as a coach. You yeah. just didn't cross that line. Right. I, maybe they did in those other I don't know. But in where we came from in the West, you just that didn't happen. Right. So this team in Springfield went to win the Calder Cup. Now, one of us in this conversation was in the building the night that Springfield won the Calder Cup, and one of us wasn't. I was in the building the night of the Calder Cup championship you weren't because something very important was happening uh at that point and what was that that was the birth of my twins yeah yeah that that's was, uh I, I left yeah and so on the, on my calder cup championship ring is my twin birth. yeah that's they, amazing they, act, they actually were born right on time we tied it up to go to overtime yeah that was that was one of the most fun experiences i've ever had at a game and that was the yeah, first. Rub it in. Appreciate it. Well, it was great, and the best part was, uh, <laughs> the best part was, and this you wouldn't care about this, but at, in, the, in the middle of the celebration, Chris Pryor, you know, everyone's celebrating uh, their sticks and gloves, everything on the ice. 
And Chris Pryor starts going around and he starts taking the sticks and he's handing them over the glass to the fans. Well, a year or two later, a couple years later, I end up at a job with a guy who was also at the game. And he ended up with Rod Dahlman's stick from that night. And then eventually I managed to get it from him. He was nice enough to give it to me or we ended up some sort of trade. But I, I have a nice souvenir from that night. Is the, the stick that Rod Dahlman used in the, uh, the Calder Cup winning game that you weren't at. Yeah. Well, you have a I, ring. I mean, so you, I mean, you have yeah. a better souvenir. Well, the, the only problem I have with the ring is I had twins. So when I die, I only have one. Well, I mean, you can give it to a friend. 